Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 713 of the Joe Sanic. Joe has got some pro tips and tools and perspectives and real research on how we can, in fact, accomplish more in fewer hours. You'll learn one, what Iceland learned from its four-day workweek experiment. Two, the one-minute trick for dramatically improving productivity. And three, quick focus hacks for achieving flow faster. You can find the show notes and transcript and links to the studies and stuff that we mentioned here at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP713. And if you want the insights faster, definitely sign up for the Gold Nugget email list at awesomeatyourjob.com, which provides uh, the summary prescriptive wisdom that the guests drop in an email that drops each day an episode goes live. It also unlocks the whole vault of all the historical episodes. So 713 summaries are yours. Grab them. Good stuff. That's that gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's good stuff about Joe. Joe Sanek is the author of Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. It examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity. Joe's been featured in Forbes, Good Magazine, and the Smart Passive Income Podcast. He's the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice Podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads each month. Best-selling. Authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders and innovators are featured and interviewed in the 550-plus episodes he's done over the last six years. Big thanks to Joe for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're, like many small business owners, looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Joe. Joe, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Oh, Pete, I am so excited to be here. Well, you know, it's been over four years and 500 episodes since we last recorded a conversation. So I'm just going to put you on the spot, Joe, and say, what's the most exciting thing you've discovered in that time that can help folks be awesome at their jobs? Ooh, the most exciting and awesome at their jobs. I would say that Our biggest creativity comes when we slow down. I took my daughters on a nine-month road trip and uh, did that during COVID. And through that process, I think it made me awesome at my job because I I had so much creativity while working on the road and being remote that it just was this epic trip that also lit me up in a very positive way that actually helped my job be better. Mm, Well, I I like that message. And, And you share some of those themes in your latest book, Thursday is the New Friday how to work fewer hours, make more money, and spend time doing what you want. What is the main message here? Yeah, I would say the main message of Thursday is the new Friday is that the four-day work week is better for society 
creativity and productivity and that the research and case studies we're seeing emerge actually show that large and medium-sized companies that switch to the four-day work week actually are doing better and having their profits go up rather than go down like most people would expect. Mm-hmm. Now, and before listeners tune out and say, yeah, that's, that's great, Joe, but uh, I, I have no power to make that happen. Can you share with us what do we have to learn about from these principles if we are in a five-day work week and there's nothing we can do about it? Yeah. So for me, whenever I think about when I'm going to approach, let's reconstruct something, let's let's tear down the old way, I always go to historically how much of what we believe right now is actually the truth and how much of it might just be things that we think are solid and unmovable. Because if the way that we work right now is maybe not as solid as we think, then it actually gives us some hope that we can recreate things. And so to do that, I think we have to go back a little bit to about 4,000 years ago, the Babylonians, they made up the seven-day week. Uh, They looked up, they saw the sun and the moon, Earth, Venus, Mars, Mercury, and Jupiter, and said, let's have a seven-day week. The Egyptians had an eight-day week and the Romans had a 10-day week. So even the week is completely made up. There's nothing in nature that points to it. Whoa. But you know what? Jeez, I think that's worth a pause right there. Just to like, because wow. Because, you know, the earth, it really does take 365 days for the earth to go around the sun. That's a real thing. Yep. And the and a day from like sunrise to the next day sunrise really is approximately 24 hours. That really is a thing. <laughs> yeah. But the week... Huh. We just made totally that up. Made up. <laughs> we could just as easily have had a five-day week and had 73 of them in a year. Mm-hmm. And so it's completely arbitrary. And so if we fast forward to the late 1800s and early 1900s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So they had a farmer's schedule, but they weren't all farmers. They were just working all the time. And so if we understand that that historical context, where in 1926, Henry Ford switched over to the 40-hour work week, specifically with the goal of selling more cars to his own employees. His belief was that people weren't going to buy a car to just get to work faster. But if they had a weekend to go see friends and family, to go recreate, that they would buy a car from the company they worked for. And it worked. And things started to take off. And and so we see that this thing that to us, this 40-hour work week, we got to work five days, that's less than 100 years old. And so, whoa, this, this thing that we thought was so solid is actually kind of shaky. And then we enter the pandemic of 2020 and 2021, and globally, we have an experiment to see if we have to keep working the way we've been working. And that's why right now we're seeing this great resignation, where people are recognizing, I work for these industrialists who the, the thing they care most about is a 40-hour week of me sitting in a chair. And that's just not what I want out of life anymore. And so we see all these people resigning, but the best companies are the ones that are adapting and changing. So I would actually argue that as a post-pandemic generation right now, that we have a window of opportunity to say, how are we going to reshape society in the way that we think is healthier and can approach the challenges of this century with more creativity? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's intriguing just in terms of expanding our thinking associated with both a a five-day, 40-hour work week and everything. Like, hi. Is this sort of built into nature or is this something we made up and when? Hmm. That's just a good little frame to put on all kinds of critical thinking issues in life and work. So, so thanks for that. And then, okay, so then lay it on as some, some of the, the research and whether folks indeed make a shift to a, a four-day work week or they, they just take some nuggets associated with, with rest and strategic use of hours and some of your other takeaways uh, will, either way, I, I think everyone can be enriched by, by what we're yeah. saying here. So, so let's, let's hear it. some of the research in terms of companies that made the shift, what happened? 
Yeah. So the Iceland study that actually just came out a couple months ago is one of the largest studies of the four-day work week. And what it did is it had 2,500 people uh, that worked a 32-hour week. So it wasn't 40 crammed into four. It was an actual 32-hour work week. So the really interesting thing about the Iceland study was that even though it was 32 hours, not 40 hours, we saw a boost in productivity, boost in creativity, better health outcomes, better happiness. And so if we think about that and just step back and say, okay, at 40 hours, we're less productive. That means those last eight hours with this study actually are detrimental to productivity, meaning that they're going against productivity, that it peaked at 32 hours. And so we also see in other ways the idea of going where we have the macro of the three-day weekend to then going to the neuroscience around the micro of how we actually do breaks within our regular workday. And so we start with the internal because so many of the productivity books start with here's the actual steps you take, which is very industrialist-minded. That's the way that the industrialists want it. They want it to be here's the blueprint, here's the exact formula. But instead, the new way of writing is giving a menu to help people grow and and try things and have their own experiments. So we start internally, then we move into slowing down, and then we move into absolutely killing it. So the, the problem typically that we see is that most people work stressed out and maxed out throughout the week, and then the weekend is a reaction to that stress. So they overdrink, they oversleep, they aren't productive, or they're stressed out even more with their kids. But the research is pointing to that when we flip that and actually slow down first and optimize the brain, then we can do better work within our jobs on the other side of that. And so, for example, there's a study out of the University of Illinois. I-L-L. I-L-L. There we go. (laughs) So University of Illinois did the study uh, on vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well we pay attention to something, decrement meaning that it goes down over time. And so the leading idea at the time of the study was that we have a certain amount of energy in the day and we pour it out. And over time, we just are out of energy and we can't focus anymore. And the tasks after that, we just have to pause and not come back to. Well, they wanted to see if that was actually true. And so they had this study where they brought in college students. They gave them a random four-digit number. Say it was 4312. So this student has 4312. Over an hour, this four-digit number is going to pop up on the screen. And whenever your four-digit number pops up, you hit a button. There's going to be loads of other numbers that come up that you have to ignore. Super boring task for this period of time. They saw that there was vigilance decrement at the end of the study. So the amount they paid attention at the end was worse than how they had at the beginning. Totally what we would expect. But then with the second group, at the one-third mark, what they did is they gave them just a one-minute break. They said something like, we put you on the wrong computer, just hang out in the lobby. Uh, These students didn't have their phone. And uh, they just had a one-minute break, came back, had another third of the study, had one more one-minute break, and then finished up the study. They found that there was no vigilance decrement at the end of the study, meaning they paid attention just as well at the end as they had at the beginning. And so evolution in our brain has not caught up to the technology we have, where when we take that one-minute break, it moves us out of our environment, and then it re-triggers us to re-engage. And our brains are fearful. It's paying attention. It's able to then engage in a way that's different than if we just work, 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 work. Yeah, that's cool. So powerful breaks, that's huge. And tell us more about the internal inclination. Yeah, so the internal inclinations are the three inclinations that top performers have based on the research. So if you want to be amazing at your job, one might say awesome at your job, then you want to really focus on where you're at with these three internal inclinations. So the first one is curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is an ability to move on it. So the first one, curiosity. When I was writing this chapter, I was like, 
what comes to mind if I was just to start with a blank slate here? And, and the idea of curiosity killed the cat. I'm like, that's a terrible thing that we say in our society. If you're curious, you're going to die. That's terrible. Where did that come from? There was actually a cat that got stuck in a chimney in the early 1900s. <laughs> it was national news for five days. It was like a ridiculous news week. And so this cat, the world is like following this cat. And then at the end of the week, there was a front page headline in the Washington Post that said curiosity killed the cat. And so this has become something that we think that when you're an adult, you stop being curious. Uh, but effective leaders maintain that curiosity. So when they enter into something, whether it's a pass or a fail, they see it as data. And so if they do a big Facebook ads campaign or they do a marketing campaign or whatever it is, even when it, quote, fails, they view it as data about their clients, about their, their money, about we've learned something here. So we want to retain that. The second thing in the internal inclinations is an outsider perspective. So there's a research study that looked at this small group of six to eight people at a time. They would show them the color blue or the color green and just say, is this blue or is this green? There were colors that were very blue and very green, and there were ones that were sort of in the middle. For the most part, the group agreed. Now, in the second version of the study, two of the participants were actually working with the researchers, and there were particular colors that were very blue that they would say was green or green that was blue. And they were able to statistically sway the group towards their color that was incorrect. And over and over, we've seen studies show that an outsider actually has more perspective and sway over a group than an insider. Insider. Anytime you've had a new job and you're doing the onboarding and you see things, you have that outsider's perspective. And oftentimes you have more sway than you should. So I remember when I joined a community college, this was in like 2010. So computers were around, but they were still handwriting their progress notes for counseling. They were filing them by day in a binder rather than by person's last name. And so if I wanted to know if somebody came in for counseling before, they had to go back to a calendar, look through it, find it. I mean, outsiders, when you come into a new job, have these eyes to say, that's crazy. Why are you doing it that way? And so effective leaders actually retain that as they move up to have that outsider perspective. And then the third one is an ability to move on it. And so we typically have a spectrum where on one side we have speed and on the other side we have accuracy. And there are tons of times within your job or other things that you want accuracy. So if I go under the knife, if I have surgery, I want my doctor, I want her to do as good a job as she can, be as accurate as she can. I don't need speed when I'm in a hospital setting. But most of business and life and jobs, speed is going to trump accuracy almost every time. And you know, when we have jobs and we have supportive supervisors that understand this, that makes it a lot easier because you get more done and you're able to get that feedback loop quicker as you move forward. Mm -hmm. But ineffective leaders are the ones that get paralyzed by perfection. They get worried about messing up, getting worried about getting fired over just little mistakes. So then they overthink it and they're accurate, but they're slow. So yeah, ability to move then isn't just about power, but speed. And, and I've heard, I don't remember if it was Corn Ferry or, or one of our guests talked about a key variable for people being successful in their careers is their decision-making. And by decision-making, they didn't mean perfect decisions. They meant fast decisions. <laughs> and so, which I find intriguing. And I think it's Ramit Sethi. I think he says it very well that something like we spend way too much time on most decisions and way too little time on a couple really critical ones. Yes. And so most of our decisions, we can just, we can just crank and rock and roll and there's no need to, to sweat it. But then, and there's really just a few that you truly need to nail and, and take your time on. 
Yeah. Yeah. That idea of how much we spend time on making decisions. I mean, when you think about rising leaders, they're usually people that make decisions. They can back up those decisions. They can think on the fly oftentimes and practice thinking on the fly. Uh, So these are skills that it's not pass fail with the internal inclinations. It's more, we just want to know where are you at with these three? If if you aren't boosting your curiosity on a regular basis or putting yourself in situations where you can build an outsider perspective or feel uncomfortable or have the ability to just move on it, you need to be putting yourself in those situations to build that muscle over time. So it becomes more natural for you to think critically, you know, outside of the box as we often hear, or to be able to move on things or to be more curious. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, so I'm all for, I'm all for the breaks and those principles. That's awesome. I want to hear, so for the skeptics in the crowd, so 32 hours versus 40 hours, I'm thinking there's probably some distinctions here. Like if someone is truly in a crank widget factory situation, I think less time is going to yield less output. Is that fair? That's definitely fair. And I think Mm -hmm. there's certain industries that are going to shift differently. Right. This isn't going to be in the same way that the industrialist just gave us a one size fits all 40 hours. That's why going through some experiments that I talk through in the book, and we can walk through it here as well, are important for teams to say, how do we apply this principle specifically to our team? So imagine an IT team that helps with passwords at a bank. You can't just say to your, your banking clients, sorry, you're locked out. There's nobody here to help you. It's Friday, peace out. You're going to have to have somebody that's on call. So that's going to look different for that team versus other teams. Um, But there's a lot of traditional industries that have enacted this. So I love the story of Kalamazoo Valley Community College in Southwest Michigan. Uh, This guy, Ted Forrester, was an HVAC instructor. So he's a professor of HVAC teaching about, you know, big building, heating and cooling. So regular blue collar guy. This is like John Goodman. I know. Yes. In the community TV show. Yes. Who is awesome. He nailed that role so good. Right there. That's Ted Forrester. Except (laughs) Ted Forrester is thinner and better looking. So Ted, he realizes on Fridays in the summer, there's like no students on campus. So he goes up to the roof and every Friday takes a picture of the parking lot. Just Friday after Friday taking pictures. And then he does it in the fall to show how many people are there. He then presents to the board of directors. I mean, this, this HVAC guy goes to the board and says, this is what our Fridays look like in the summertime. This is how much we're spending on air conditioning costs to cool empty buildings in the summer. This is how much savings that we would have just from turning off the air conditioning on a Thursday night and turning it on you know, a few hours before Monday morning classes. So they end up switching five years ago to a four-day work week in the summertime, and they did save the millions of dollars in air conditioning. But on top of it, their staff satisfaction has gone up. Their staff retention has gone up. So you just think about how long it takes to when someone leaves to replace that person in that role to get them back up to the same productivity of the prior person. Mm -hmm. Their health outcomes are better. And also the student success has gone up because students then you know can come in earlier in the day, Monday through Thursday or later in the day because people are flexing their schedules in really unique ways. And so they're working 36 hour weeks and HR quote donates four hours. And so they're working a little bit longer days, but then there's flexible scheduling where they can work through their lunch. They can come in early. They can keep the office open later. And so you know, Michigan is winter like nine months of the year. And so for people to have a summer where they have a four day work week, they're going to stay in that job longer and be happier in it because of that. And then they're still saving the millions of dollars in AC costs. Mm -hmm. Intriguing. Okay. Well, so tell us, I'd love to hear, are there any other pro tips for in a world? All right. So I guess fundamentally, 
whether it's with our organizations switch full scale to a, a four day work week or, or we just switch internally <laughs> to a four day work week, whether because we have their own flexibility or, or we just decide, Hey, I'm going to give you more output in less time. And then just kind of chill out a little bit that you, and you won't notice. Uh, <laughs> Either way. I mean, I think that's already happening. I think yeah. when we look at Friday productivity, it's not exactly through the roof or like a Monday morning. Right. So fundamentally, what are the key practices that let us generate more output in less time? So we talked about one minute breaks, uh, make it a world of difference for not having that vigilance decrement. That's cool. Uh, what are some other magical things we could do so that we we do more with less? Yeah. So one thing that we want to do is we really want to think about the environment in which you're working and to give different environments to different tasks. And and this can be harder or easier depending on how much control you have over your office space. But even as I was writing the book, I was using the very principles I was learning to write the book faster than what I thought I could. And so even being able to, on the day of writing, to protect my brain in the morning. So I wasn't checking texts. I wasn't checking email. I was blocking out the time to work on important tasks. And even when I had a full-time job, I would do this. I would say to my boss, hey, I'm going to be batching and working through all of these these items. Uh, I'm going to be in my office if you need me, but I'm going to try to just have my head down for three hours and just go crazy. And she would respect that and she would know ahead of time. And then I got so much output done. It was like when Joe's in monk mode, just like don't even pay attention to him. And so what I would do is I would then get together the food that I needed. So I had my green smoothie, I had my coffee, I had my green tea. So all the drinks I need for the morning. And then I set up my environment in a way based on the task. And so this is one of those quick hacks you can do in your office environment to have different lighting and different things for particular tasks. So I changed the lighting in my office while I was writing. I moved the chair that I was working at to a different part of the office. I had specific headphones that I only used for when I was writing with a playlist I only listened to while I was writing. Mm -hmm. So that then dropped me into flow state significantly faster than if I had just looked at a white screen and said, what am I going to write today? I came in prepped. I had prepped my brain. I had thought through, like, what's this chapter going to look like? And so in the typical work world, we can enact these environmental changes to drop into flow state faster. That's cool. And I imagine with that environment, with all those beverages, uh, part of it was being set up right next to a bathroom. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, and understanding when are you most productive. For me, yeah. from about 9.30 to 11.30 is like my peak performance time for a day. Like the food, the caffeine, the the wakefulness all has me at a point that that's when I get my best work done. And so that's when we want to do the work that's most important is when our bodies feel most amped up and most ready to go. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would recommend is for people to really understand their sprint type. And so a sprint type is similar to a personality type. When we think about sprinting or batching parts of our job, oftentimes we think, well, that didn't really work for me. And it's because we don't know our sprint type. So some people, their brains are naturally wired to be able to have breaks every 20 minutes while you're working on the same task. So spending one to three hours just working on the same task over and over and over. And so you break it into 20 minute sprints. You're just going crazy on that one task. Whereas other people, what we call task switchers, are people that they need to have variety. And so they sketch out what their sprints are going to be, but they're going to change every single sprint. The other side of it is knowing, am I the type of sprinter that needs to have this automated? So an automated sprinter. So every Thursday in the morning, I'm going to be working on a particular task. 
Or am I an intensive sprinter that needs to take time away from the office to really dive deep into particular tasks? And so some people will rent an Airbnb to just dive deep to get out of the office. They'll schedule with their boss to work from home or to go away so that they can dive deep into a particular task. And so when we understand our sprint type, we actually get more done during that period of time than if we just were going along with our regular schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, what I really like about this, maybe a theme that's coming to mind in terms of the things that you're you're putting together here is that we're serious here. There's a time on the calendar and there's an environment. There's a set of conditions, food, beverage, peak energy. There's a mission. And it's like, effectively, you've turned not messing around <laughs> into a series of practices that has a date and time and mission and, and supportive elements around it. And then some rituals, like with these are the headphones, this is the music, this is the beverage that, that, that then, you know, get associated over time. So all that's really cool. And, and, and part of me, I don't know, my hunch is, and I want to pour over all this research that you're, you're sharing with that 40 hours versus 32 hours. I guess part of me thinks that we've got over 20% of our work weeks that we're just sort of frittering away by not being serious. Absolutely. And so then I guess my question is, if someone's already a kick-butt high performer, would they still see those gains, even though the quote-unquote average knowledge workplace, it seems like, has no problem, (laughs) you know, finding it? Yeah. I mean, so I would actually ask the question of this high performer. Do they think they, they are trying new things? Are they stressed out and maxed out? Or do they have time and space for creativity and daydreaming? Because If we are stressed out and maxed out, the research shows that we are not going to try new things. Uh, We're going to go with what we know. And for a period of time, that can work to just go with what you know. But if you're really looking to get to the next level in your career, you have to be innovative. You have to be creative. You have to make connections outside of the lane that you're in. And that almost always comes when we slow down. Uh, When when we're taking a shower or going for a hike or on a long drive, we start to make these, these neural connections that we wouldn't have made if we were just stressed out and maxed out. So for the high performers, I would actually say that they're going to do even better and more creative work to help themselves stand out within their careers if they slow down. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Joe, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about a few of your favorite things. Yeah. So I would just, the final thing I would leave you with is sometimes we hear this, this four day work week or three day weekend, and it's just, where do I even start? And I would actually start looking forward to this future weekend even if it's just two days. And I want you to add something and remove something. So what do I mean? So I want you to add something that you know is going to help you rejuvenate in a way that just is expansive beyond what you've done. So it might be that there's a book on your nightstand that you've been meaning to read. And if you gave yourself two hours of permission to read that book, you know it would light you up. Or maybe it's connecting with a friend that every time you see them, you say, we should get together sometime. And you just keep putting it off. Find that thing that's going to add something to your weekend. And then I would say, remove something. So you may have coffee scheduled with a friend on Saturday morning. And every time you leave that meeting, you feel like trash. Hmm. You're like, that person's toxic. Like I give you permission to cancel that. Maybe you're sick of working on your lawn and you want to pay the neighbor kid for one weekend to work on it. Or maybe you're sick of going and getting groceries, waiting in line, bringing them home and losing half a day of your weekend. Maybe this weekend you give yourself permission to take that off of your plate. Now, when you do this over time, where you add something and remove something, you learn what's best for you. It may be that the grocery 
everything doesn't really like amp you up as much as you thought it would. It may be that the, the lawn care actually does. And so over time, you're adding one thing and removing something for you to best know how to optimize your brain for the next week, whether or not you, if you've jumped into a three-day work week or not, or three-day weekend or not. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, the quote that I for a long time have tried to live and heard so early in my career is when you say no to one thing, you say yes to all sorts of other things. All right. And do you have a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? To me, I the one I go back to is the vigilance decrement one because it just shows how just that small little bit can make such a difference. And I'm sure there's so many other things like that that research has yet to uncover. Okay. And a favorite book? I would say there's two. I'm going to cheat here. The one thing is by far my favorite book in regards to just business and focus. But The Untethered Soul to me is equal in regards to just allowing myself to realize that at my deepest core, I'm awareness. I'm not my emotions, past feelings, my physical body. And to allow those heavy feelings to just move through my body has just been a game changer for me. Tell me a book can do that for me, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Michael Singer rocks. All right. Just to have a total enlightenment over emotion. Okay. That's worth a read. Thank you. <laughs> you know, little things that I like to pay attention to, like global enlightenment. <laughs> and a favorite tool? I would say that I still, I probably said this last time, uh, Trello to me, I use so frequently with uh, my teams and my personal life and to just stay organized overall. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a favorite habit? I would say my favorite habit is slowing down that to genuinely turn my brain off and to go have fun with people. To me, that makes life worth living. Mm-hmm. And there's a key thing you shared that seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often. I would say that they're shocked at how slowing down really was the thing that helped them completely kill it and grow their businesses. Most people, when they try that, are just absolutely shocked at how well it works. All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Yeah. So wherever they want to buy Thursday is the new Friday. It's available wherever you buy your books. I'm sure your local bookstore would appreciate that. We're also doing a mastermind group starting the first Thursday in November. And so when you buy 10 copies of Thursday is the new Friday, you get access to that by just submitting your receipt over at thursdayisthenewfriday.com. We're going to be having some top level podcasters in there. We're going to be talking about how do you actually implement the book, doing some hot seats. But most importantly, you're going to be able to meet new people that are thinking in the same way so that we can have a genuine community of friends that are enacting this together. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say that we are the post-pandemic generation and we have a short window of time here before people try to go back to what was, quote, normal before the pandemic. Now is the time when you have the most power to push back. And especially with the great resignation, there are so many employers that are looking for creative ways to attract new talent. And if you can be one of those leaders around the four-day work week, I know it's going to help you continue to level up in your career, be a leader, and to live a life that's more in line with what maybe nature intended. All right, Joe, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much luck and success in your four-day work week adventures. Thank you so much, Pete. Well, I love two things in particular about what Joe had to say there. And the one is how we can just evaluate what's permanent what or, and fixed versus what is not. Like the 40-hour, five-day work week. We think that's permanent, but really if we zoom back, there's a historical context. Like that is not fixed. That can indeed be flexible as opposed to 365 days in a year, 24 hours in a day. That is a bit of a different story in terms of what's 
really fixed with regard to that that earth and that sun and what's going on there. So I really love that, as well as that notion of the one minute break making a huge impact in being able to be vigilant and and not make those as many errors. I, I actually pulled up the full study and they cut their their errors significantly. And I think about how an error can be so costly <laughs> in terms of like the rework you have to do when, if you make a, just the wrong error, or just the wrong place. So pretty awesome how one minute break can make a world of difference. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the links or goodies, it's at awesomeaboutyourjob.com slash EP713. I hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 